0: Well, good morning. Would you join me in asking the Lord to guide us uh, through his word this morning? Our gracious Father, we come before you in Jesus' name. thankful that we have a hearing in your presence and thankful that you indeed hear our prayers. We come asking today that you will teach us. We ask you to instruct the mind, that you will inspire our hearts. You would influence our lives, and you will impact our community and this world through your Word. Today, Father, we begin this new series, and we want to consider again, anew, afresh, the importance of the Word of God. So we ask that you remove distractions that would keep us from focusing our attention today on what you have to say to us. And we ask these things in Jesus' mighty and powerful name. Amen. Well, When it comes to the study of God's Word, there are... Ways to go about studying his word and and, and ways not to go about it. And I came across this this article this week entitled Five Unhelpful Ways to Read or Study the Bible. Five approaches that we ought not to take. The first is the Xanax approach. You feel anxious? Oh, just read Philippians 4.6. You feeling tired? Read Matthew 11.28. The Xanax approach treats the Bible as if it exists to make us feel better. (laughs) If you've read your Bible, it doesn't always make you feel better, does it? Sometimes it makes you feel worse. Sometimes it points out things that you don't want to see about yourself, about how you're living, about what needs to change. Well, then there's the pinball approach lacking any reference or any guidance to what we read, you just flip open the Bible, pick a verse and read it, and think it's going to apply to you, and you're going to understand it without context, without historical understanding, without understanding who the author is and who they're writing to, and and all of that. Just bouncing around from verse to verse, trying to find something that will speak to you. Then there's the magic eight ball approach. You remember the magic eight ball? You ask it a question and you shake it, and you wait for this thing to appear, to give you an answer. Well, the Bible isn't magic. Uh, It is God's spoken, written word given to us to transform our lives. Then there's the personal shopper approach, which doesn't even open the Bible. You just find your favorite preacher or teacher, and you just listen to what they say. And because they're eloquent of speech, because they're easy to listen to, or, or maybe uh, there's something that you can take from what they say that you just take what they say, as if it's always gospel truth. And you never open your Bible for yourself. Then lastly, there's the Jack Spratt approach. You remember the nursery rhyme, Jack Spratt could eat no fat. And uh, we approach the Bible sometimes that way, and we we pick what we want to read and digest and and what we don't want to. And uh, usually when we take that approach, we usually find the things that already agree with us and how we're living and how we're thinking, and we avoid those things which we don't always like to hear or read or uh, don't fit who we are. These are not the ways to approach God's Word. We must understand it in its context as it was intended. And one of the ways that we understand the context is the historical context. And so, as Larry mentioned, we're going to go on an expedition of Old Testament history. Again, I've chosen that word expedition because an expedition is an excursion, journey, or voyage made for a specific purpose. There's a reason for this. And our reason is to gain a broad understanding of how the Bible progressively unfolds his story. We'll see how each book, and in this case Genesis to Esther, each book fits into this grand story. We'll follow the historical context to see the major events, the key figures, and how God works in these events through these individuals to point to the pinnacle of all of his story, the person and work of Jesus Christ, his life, death, and resurrection. All of these things are pointing that way. All of these things are teaching something about Jesus and why He was to come and what He was going to accomplish in His coming. It's important that we understand how Noah and the flood fit into that and how Joseph and what God did through Joseph fit into that. Why Moses? What did Moses do? Why Why the Exodus? Why these things? What does all this teach? And that's why Ethnos 360 takes a tribe through this journey to build an understanding so that when they teach about Christ, they get it. So many of us, if we even grew up in the church, right? Grew up hearing about Daniel in the lion's den and, and, uh, and Esther, this, this wonderful young woman who became queen. And, but we don't know how that fits into history, his story. We don't understand. It's just these stories. We've got to have an understanding of that and how each of these things God did and put into the scriptures, even the things that are flaws and sins of people, why all of that fits. I also use the word expedition because the word expedition also means promptness or speed in accomplishing something. Now, if you know me, you're probably thinking, okay, if we're going to go from Genesis to Esther, man, we're going to be in here a while, right? My goal is to work through this, and we'll of course, start next week with Genesis, but to cover one book each week. Now, that may seem like a tall task, but I figured I'm a pretty tall pastor. We're going to give it a shot, right? And uh, so we're going to work our way through that. We're going to get an understanding of how all these things fit into the, the progression of history and, uh, and then key down on a couple things uh, and how that teaches us about Christ. But today, I want to invite you to open to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. This is one of those passages that is important to come back to on a regular basis. It's been six years since I have preached on this passage. Because in this passage, we see The importance of the Word of God. If we don't understand the importance of God's Word and why God gave it to us and what God does with His Word in our lives, then why would we want to know all these other things and get the historical context and, and understand all of that? The Apostle Paul, this is the last letter we have recorded in the Scripture penned by the Apostle Paul. He wrote it to his son in the, in the faith, Timothy, a trusted comrade, one who he sent uh, after he established um, uh, or, or started the church in Ephesus, he sent Timothy to help establish it and establish some leadership there. And so he's writing to encourage him and give him words of wisdom so that as he's ministering in the midst of opposition and hardship in Ephesus, He has encouragement. He wants to stress the importance of God living, of preaching the Word both in and out of season and preparing for the coming of the Lord. But underlying all of that, Paul says, we've got to understand the importance of the Word of God. It's the only foundation strong enough to withstand persecution from without and problems from within. And so we come to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, which tells us this. All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. That the man of God, and that's a generic term, the man or woman of God, may be adequate, equipped for every good work. All Scripture. Primarily, Paul is speaking about the Old Testament here. Because when he writes this, the New Testament hasn't been gathered together. Most of it had been written by this point, but hadn't been gathered together together. And, uh, and vetted by by those who did that, and and uh, determined to be part of the the canon of scripture. But certainly, after it was, this applies to the New Testament as well. But primarily, Paul is telling Timothy the scripture, the Old Testament scripture, and he says all of it. That word means every every scripture. Not just all of it as a whole, but every portion of it is inspired by God. And so we see, first of all, the Bible is inspired by God. What does that mean? Well, we use that word in our day and age differently than what it's meant here. We talk about a person was inspired to write uh, a book or write a a poem or or a psalm. We talk about maybe something like a a song was inspirational to us. Just simply mean that we we felt stirred in some way. We felt um, um, like a a light came on in our mind that, that we understood this or it helped us in some way. When the Bible uses that word, it literally is a compound word that means God breathed. And so that's why in some translations it says all Scripture is God-breathed. Literally, that's what it means. It was breathed out by God. Much like God breathed life into uh, Adam when he formed him from the dust of the ground, and he breathed life into him, and he he became a living being. God has breathed out this book, the truth here, this word of truth, and it became living and active. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 tells us the word of God is living and active. What this means is that it was God's idea. God took the initiative to communicate to you and I as his creation. He wanted us to know what is recorded here. He wanted us to know who he is. If he didn't tell us, we would never know. Sometimes we think God is reluctant um, to, to do things, to share truth, to do good stuff. Often we think that God's waiting to get us because we mess up, but God took the initiative to let us know about who he is. His character, his nature, his heart. God wanted us to know about sin. He wanted us to know that sin had entered into creation and has defaced all of creation, including you and I were made in His image, the pinnacle of His creation. We've all been affected by this. And because of that, this relationship that was established by God at creation has been broken. God wants us to know that so that we will realize we have a desperate need. God also wants us to know that He has taken care of that need. And He foretold it all throughout the Old Testament which we're going to look at in the fullness of time God then sent forth his son who came to this earth born into our humanity lived a sinless perfect life and then offered himself as our sinless sacrifice taking our sin off of us putting on himself God wanted you and I to know that so he Inspired, he breathed out this book. God wants us to know how we're to live in light of what Christ has done. He wants us to know how we can appropriate that truth into our own life by faith. And he wants us to know how we can live a life that honors and glorifies him under the, the power and the direction of the Holy Spirit. And so he breathed out this book to us because God wants us to know these things and then to live in accord with them. Not only was it breathed out by God, it was written down by men. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 21 tells us that no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will but by men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. This is what has happened. God's Spirit has moved in the human authors so that they recorded God's very Word that He breathed out. How did that happen? Let me read a couple things from some theologians to maybe help. Millard Erickson, in his book, Christian Theology, says, By inspiration of the scripture we mean that supernatural influence of the Holy Spirit upon the scripture writers, which rendered their writings an accurate record of the revelation, or which resulted in what, we, what they wrote actually being the word of God. So again, it is the Holy Spirit working in people to accomplish what we have before us. Another theologian, Wayne Grudem, in his book, Systematic Theology, kind of gives a little more explanation of how this might have happened. He talks about how some people believe this was simply a dictation. God just dictated to the human authors word for word, and they wrote it down, and this is now it. Well, there's a few, uh, few places where we see where God actually directed the human authors, to write exactly what he said. Others believe it was simply that they, they studied uh, the history, they studied the stories, and they wrote them down, well, much like Luke did in the Gospel of Luke and Acts. He, he, he recorded, he, he interviewed people, and he was all eyewitness account of some of what happened in Acts, and he wrote it down in consecutive order. Again, we see that as some of the scripture. But here's what Grudem says. He says, In between these two extremes of dictation, pure and simple, on the one hand, and ordinary historical research on the other hand, we may have I'm sorry, we have many indications of various ways by which God communicated with human authors of Scripture. In some cases, Scripture gives us hints at these various processes. Sometimes it speaks of dreams and of visions hearing the Lord's voice or standing in the counsel of the Lord. It also speaks of men who were with Jesus and observed his life and listened to his teaching, men whose memory of these words and deeds were made completely accurate by the working of the Holy Spirit as he brought things to their remembrance. Yet in many other cases, the manner used by God to bring about the result that the words of Scripture were his words and not simply, uh, um, is not simply disclosed to us. Apparently, many different methods were used, But it's not important that we discover precisely what these were in each case. In cases where the ordinary human personality and writing style of the author were prominently involved, as seems to be the case with the majority of Scripture, all that we are able to say is that God's providential oversight and direction of the life of each author was such that their personalities, their backgrounds and training, their abilities to evaluate events in the world around them, their access to historical data, their judgment with regard to the accuracy of information and their individual circumstances when they wrote were all exactly what God wanted them to be so that when they actually came to the point of putting pen to paper, the words were fully their own words but also fully the words that God intended them to write. Words that God would also claim as his own. And so you see, the Apostle Paul was a theologian. He was a Pharisee. He he had a a training in Old Testament and, and theology from the Old Testament. And so God used this man to write the epistles. The instruction that is based in theology on how we are to live out our faith. And he used someone like Luke, who was a, a physician by trade, but who, who also loved history and, and liked to do research. And he used him to research the facts and to write out an accurate account of how things happened. He used all these different authors and how he created and designed them to be and how, what he let them experience so that what they wrote under the direction and movement of the Holy Spirit became very much their words, but ultimately God's holy word. And you know, as I was thinking more about that this week, I thought, you know, isn't this just how God works among his people today? Certainly not to the same level as far as the the authority of, but God takes each of us. He's designed us uniquely. He's given us, giftings and abilities that are unique to each different one of us. He's allowed us to experience things in life that are unique to each of us. He's allowed each of us to have different educational experiences and backgrounds. And then he works through each of us together to accomplish his will. Not only in a local assembly, but throughout the world. to accomplish one unified will. Can you imagine if you took, uh, again, maybe 40 or so authors from different time frames, took what they wrote, put it all into one book, can you imagine that that would be disastrous to try and find a flow, a theme? (laughs) But that's exactly what we have in the Bible. Because we don't just have multiple authors. We have one primary author who is working through these individuals to write from Genesis to Revelation a book that has a unifying theme all the way through. This isn't just any book. This is the very Word of God breathed out by God, written down by men, and it is the inspired Word of God given to us translated into our own language so that we can read it and know what God has said. Not only is the Bible inspired, it is profitable for us. Right? All scriptures is inspired by God and profitable. It's profitable for us. <laughs> some, some years ago I came across this little Story of how God's word was practically profitable for this elderly woman. It says according to one of those passed-along stories on the internet, an elderly woman had just returned to her home from a church service when she was startled to find an intruder in the act of robbing her home of her valuables. She yelled, Stop! Acts two thirty-eight, which reads, Turn from your sin. The burglar stopped dead in his tracks. The woman calmly called the police and explained what she'd done, and as the officer cuffed the man, he asked the burglar, why on earth did you just stand there? All the old lady did was yell a scripture at you. He said, scripture? She said she had an axe and two <laughs> I'm not sure that's what Paul means when he says it's profitable for us, but, um, but apparently it worked for her. Um, But he gives us in this passage four four ways in which God's word is profitable to us. He says, for teaching, for proof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Let's look at these four. First of all, it teaches us. This word means to impart instruction to us, right? That's what we would think. But it refers more to, uh, to not just what is taught, but the authority behind what is taught. And so what he's saying is that this is the authoritative Word of God. It instructs us, it imparts instruction to us with authority. Why? Because it is God's breathed out Word. It teaches us what is right. Right? and what is wrong. And when we dismiss the, the Bible, we are left to ourselves to determine what's right and what is wrong. And thus we have the world in which we live. It's up to us to decide what's right and what's wrong. And how do I determine what's right if I have no higher authority? Well, what's right For me, what makes sense to me, what feels right to me. Well, when you have a bunch of people who are, who are fallen because of sin that has defaced who we are as the people made in the image of God, and it's perverted our understanding of things, and we try and determine what's right and wrong. It's going to get skewed and after you you do that from generation to generation to generation you can see how far we can get off track we need the word of God to teach us what is right secondly it reproves us this word means conviction which brings about a change of action somebody said it means to rebuke another with such effectual wielding of the victorious arms of the truth as to bring him or her if not always to a confession yet at least to a conviction of their sin God's word brings about reproof again Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 says the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Theologians discuss and argue what the difference is at times between soul and spirit. There are times in which those words are used synonymously even in the scripture. And yet, the writer of Hebrews says the Word of God is able to Divide between the two. Between joints and marrow. I'm not a doctor, but I, I understand that's, that's pretty, pretty minute to, to d- divide between that. And it's able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Now, we think we can do that. and We, we do it all the time, but we're not good at it because we don't know. We don't even know what our own intentions are sometimes in our own heart, let alone somebody else's that we can't see in their heart. We think we know, and so we make judgments all the time about people's intent. I know they intended to hurt me when they said that. Probably didn't even have a clue what it would do to you. Maybe they did, maybe they didn't. I I don't know. God knows. God's Word is able to do that in your life and mine. He's able, through His Word, like a two-edged sword, like a, a, a scalpel in the hands of a a highly trained and skilled surgeon. God's Word is profitable to reprove. It teaches us to stop doing things that are contrary to God and His Word. It teaches us to avoid things that He does not want us to be a part of. Now, if our perspective is, well, I'm always right and I don't need somebody telling me something other than I already know, then I'm certainly not going to read God's Word. Or I might take the, the approach that I'm only going to, the Jack Spratt approach. I'm only going to read what, what, what fits me. But if we take God's Word seriously, as the God-breathed Word of God given to us for our benefit, and we read it with the eyes to say, God, what do you have to say to me? <laughs> and we better be ready for reproof because this is what God's Word does. It brings conviction into our life. Thirdly, it corrects us. That's what it means to set right again. It was used when uh, 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 an arm was out of joint and it was set back into place. provides correction or amendment of what is out of place, out of joint in our life spiritually. I love the the progression that Paul has here, right? It teaches us what's right and what's wrong, and then when we deviate from that, it tells us we've deviated, but it doesn't leave us there. No, it brings correction to bring us back right again. And then the last word, training in righteousness, Means to bring up like a child. It involves discipline. Used of activity directed toward the moral and spiritual nurture and training of an individual, it influences conscious will and action. It is the training up that we all need. This is exactly what a parent is supposed to do with their children. You teach them right from wrong. You're the authority. And that's, again, something we've lost in our culture. Parents are the authority. They have the right to say to their child, that's right and that's wrong. And when they do what's wrong, they reprove them and they correct them. And then they train them up in the way they're supposed to go. And if a parent uses the Word of God as the basis of what is right and wrong, they're going to put that child on a right path to walk as God intended them to doesn't mean the child will always do what they're supposed. doesn't mean the child will always walk according to that. But Proverbs says if we train up a child in the way they should go, it will not depart from It doesn't mean that they won't depart. It means that truth won't depart. And as they're walking away from God, the training that was given to them is always there, reminding them this is not right. You need to come back. This is what God, our Father, does through His Word for us as His children. And when you and I do not spend time in the book, how are we going to be taught what is right and wrong? How are we going to be reproved when we do wrong? How are we going to be corrected to get back on track? How are we going to be trained up in right living. It's not enough just to hear other people teaching the word. It's important, but it's not enough. We've got to be in it ourselves. We've got to be reading it, studying it, understanding it, asking God to use that to speak into our lives. Isaiah tells us that God's word does not go out and return void or empty. It accomplishes what it went out to do. And when you and I consistently read through the scriptures, God's word will produce fruit in our life. So the Bible is inspired by God. The Bible is profitable for us. And thirdly, the Bible is sufficient for us. Verse 17, that the man or or woman, if you will, uh, of God... This is assuming something about us, that we are people of God, that we are brought in submission under God, that we see the Bible as the inspired and profitable word. What does it do? Well, that that we may be adequate, equipped for every good work. The word adequate means to be complete or sufficient, completely qualified. through its work, that is the, wor- the work the Word of God does through teaching, reproof, correction, and training in our lives, we are qualified. This is an issue of character. We're completely qualified to be what we're supposed to be, an issue of character. God is forming character in you and I through His Word. Producing the, the character of Jesus Christ that he had as he walked this earth. He, he provided an example for us, obviously more than that, but he provided an example for us of what it looks like to live proper human life on planet earth under the authority of God the Father and under the direction of the Holy Spirit. If there was ever anyone that walked this earth that didn't need that, it was Jesus because he was also God, but he submitted to the will of the Father and was led by the Holy Spirit so that he could show us how to live that way on this earth. And so the more we allow the word of God to have its work and profit in our life, the more the, the character of Jesus is formed in our life. That doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't happen when we get into trouble and we say, "God, I need something from you," and so I'm going to crack open my Bible in this one moment and see if you'll change everything in this moment in my life. It doesn't happen that way. It happens over time, over when we are in God's Word consistently, and God is formulating over time through His Word by His Holy Spirit as we yield Him through the circumstances He walks us through to develop godly character. And that's why when we see those qualifications in First Timothy for an elder, a person who is going to give leader, spiritual leadership to the, the, the local church, they're not to be a new convert. A new convert can be filled with the Holy Spirit and, to, and walk with the Holy Spirit directing him or her. But this character is developed over time of walking in submission to the Spirit of God. And then secondly, through its work, we are equipped. That means to furnish or to fit properly or completely. And this speaks about conduct. We are completely equipped to do what God intended for us to do. The Word of God equips us to be able to serve God and His purposes. This is for every good work. I don't know what all those good works are that you're supposed to do or that even I'm supposed to do. The Bible tells us some of them. But every one of us, again, because of our uniquenesses, because of the way God designs, the way God gifted us, the way God has moved in our life to this point, he has good work for you and I to do. That fulfills the will of God. And so we want to be in his word, continuing to be equipped, yielding to his spirit and asking him to use us. Um, Just like our challenge is to to have our eyes open and our ears open and our hearts soft and and asking God, what do you have for me today? I I, I don't know what it is for you. I certainly don't, don't even know what it is for me sometimes. One of the things that I started praying this year, and and I came across it early in this year, my reading through the scriptures, is in Joshua chapter uh, 1, I believe it's verse 16, when Joshua was. Uh, he, he, you know, he's, he is now taking over the reins of spiritual leadership of the nation of Israel. Moses just died, and, and Joshua is uh, being told by God, be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and very courageous. You're leading now my people into the promised land, what I've, what I've promised them, and you need to be strong. You need to be courageous. And so he, he shares these things with Joshua, and so Joshua says, okay, now I'm going to tell the people this is what God's doing. And here's the people's response. To Joshua, everything you command us to do, we will do. And everywhere you send us, we will go. When I read that, it's as if God said, that's what I want you to pray to me. Everything I command you, you will do. And everywhere I send you, you will go. So that's my prayer. God, what is it today you want from me? What are you telling me? Tell, show me in your words. Is there something specific? Is there somewhere you want me to go? I want to be obedient, and I tell you that kind of with fear and trembling, because now I'm accountable to all of you as well. Um, but this is what I want, and and to be honest with you. Um, The whole fasting thing, that basically came out of this. I say, God, is this this what you want? Okay, I'm going to step into it. I'm going to invite my brothers and sisters to do it too. Um, I don't have any control nor do you over what God will do with our obedience. That's his business. But we have control over whether we're going to do what God says or not. We're going to trust him. Let me close by sharing with you just a few more scripture verses. Let's speak about this issue of God's word. Again, in Joshua 1, here's Joshua, right? He'd been the military leader. He was strong and courageous. He had to lead an army out against the enemies. But spiritual leadership takes different kind of strength and courage. And then God said to him in Joshua 1.8, this book of the law, again, referring to not just even the Old Testament, but the first five books of the Bible, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do all that's written in it. Then you'll make your way prosperous, and then you'll have success. If you make this a priority in your life, you read and meditate on it. Think about what is God really saying here? What does God mean by what he says? What does that mean for my life? How does God want me to live in accord with that? If we take these things seriously what he told Joshua was then what you do will be prosperous and successful. I'm going to go ahead of you and I'm going to make the way. In Psalm 1 uh, David writes about how blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or s- stand in the, seat in, in the path of sinners or sit in the seat of scoffers. He says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law he meditates day and night. And then he's going to be like a, a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither. Whatever it do, he does, he prospers. This is a picture of health, and growth, and, and prosperity, as God intends prosperity, right, in our lives spiritually. When we meditate on his word, when we allow his word to, to direct our thoughts, we allow it to teach us, to pr- prove us, to correct us, to train us, then we are like that tree that's planted by the water that's constantly, roots are nourished, and it yields fruit in its proper time. The leaves don't wither Away, like we watch every fall when the leaves die and fall off. This doesn't happen in the life of one who's tied to the Word of God and letting this nourish them. That doesn't mean we don't go through seasons of hard times. We do. But we're flourishing spiritually. And then the last one is in the New Testament, James one twenty-five, when James is writing to them about not being that person who just reads it and then walks away and forgets and doesn't do anything about it. Like a person who looks at their face in a mirror and then forgets what they look like. <laughs> You know, how, how, how ridiculous is that? And that's the point. And then he says in verse 25, but on, but on the one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. When we take God's word seriously, not forgetting what it says, but Abiding by it, effectually doing what it says. And maybe one little thing. We don't need to know all the Bible tomorrow. We just say, God, I'm I'm just going to read one chapter tomorrow. I'm just going to ask you as I read this chapter to help me understand it in its context and to understand maybe one truth that you want to impress upon me that I can think about throughout the day that will will guide me, that might even prepare me for what later today you might have for me. It might be something that quick that today, later on in the day I can apply that one truth. Or it may be something next week. We don't know. But to simply say, God, I want to know you. I know your word. I want to be obedient as best I can. Help me to do that. Because this Book is inspired. It's God's breathed out word. Written down by human authors. And there's a unifying theme that runs all the way through from Genesis to Revelation. And it profits us by teaching us what is right and wrong. By reproving us when we get off track. By correcting us to get us back on track. Set us right again. And trains us up. That we might be people who are adequate. That is qualified in character, equipped to be the people God has called us to be and do. This is why God's word is so important to us. This is why we must be in it each and every day. Oh, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is unlike any other book. We thank you that you reveal to us who you are. (laughs) You reveal who we are. You reveal what you've done for us. You reveal how you've demonstrated your sin and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You work through your word to produce Christ-likeness in our lives so that Christ's life can be lived through us, through the Spirit of God. I thank You. Have Your way with us. Lord, would would You take this series that we're beginning and would You train us up? Would You equip us? for what you have ahead of us. And we'll give you thanks by faith for that work you're doing. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, let's conclude by standing and singing Ancient Words.